When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's episode of the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. You know, putting in some new windows or a new door is really exciting, but it can be a little intimidating because sometimes you don't even know where to begin. First of all, you got to go with Pella, and there are a couple of directions you can go to get things started. First of all, you can schedule a free in-home consultation. That's right, free. With this in-home consultation, you're going to get a Pella expert out to sit down with you, take a look at your home, and they're going to be able to get a Greg McDermott, Dana Altman-esque game plan for you that fits your budgets, your home, your wants, and your needs. That's one option. Or option number two is head out to the showroom. The showroom is really cool. You, sometimes it actually helps to kind of see the window and see the door, touch it and feel it, open it, close it to get a better feel for exactly what you're going to be installing in your home. Both are great options. You have to go with Pella. Give them a call, 402-493-1350. Or check them out online at PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. All right, on the pod today is a very special guest, uh, one of my former teammates uh, at Creighton, Josh Dotzler. Uh, just an, an incredible man, uh, an incredible person. Uh, was a great player. Um, he was His family... And, you know, what they do in giving back to the Omaha community, in particular the North Omaha community, is uh, is really special. And, you know, this was a really fun conversation. Josh and I, uh, I was with Josh for his entire time at Creighton. I was a, a – my redshirt year at Creighton was Josh's freshman year. Then we played together for two years. And then I graduated, and I was a graduate assistant on staff for Josh's senior year. So, I mean, I, I got to see every single play – uh, every single moment of Josh Dolter's college career. And, uh, you know, he has uh, – it, it was really interesting to pick his brain uh, going down memory lane with that. Talking about a guy that dealt with injuries, dealt with a lot of different things uh, in his time as a, as a Blue Jay. Uh, but most importantly, uh, you know, we wanted to bring Josh on because I, I wanted to pick his brain about what he's doing with Abide Omaha and uh, all the nonprofits that are going on uh, – in the city of Omaha and what he's doing to give back to uh, North Omaha and the communities, just some really, really cool stuff. So there's a lot to touch on with uh, one of my, one of my favorite guys, former teammate, one of my good friends, Josh Dotzler. Here is my conversation with Mr. Josh Dotzler. Well, he is uh, one of the, the best dudes in the world. Josh Dotzler, former T-Bird, former Come Blue on. Jay. And uh, he is uh, a, f uh, a husband and a father, and he is Nick Baugh's friend. What's up, Josh? How are things, man? Man, Nick, what's up, bro? So good to be with you. I, uh, I, I got to be honest with you. In terms of dudes that I played with that still look like a million bucks, you got the top spot, my friend. <laughs> you, you still got the number one spot, all right? Hey, you, you probably haven't seen me uh, in, the, in the recent uh, days. You know, I've had to cut my hair pretty short. I'm going a little thin on the top. Got a few grays coming in the beard, so uh, just trying to Stop just trying it. to stay on the right path. Stop it! You still every time I every time I see you at 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 the Creighton games, I'm like, look at this guy. This guy. No. This guy looks like he. This guy still looks like he got there and and 
and give you 10 and 10 and like five steals. <laughs> and you know what I mean? Like you, you still, you, you just, you got that look, man. I love it. I'm trying to get like you. That's all it is. All looks, all looks, no go. <laughs> just don't get me out there. <laughs> well, I used to, my junior year, I wore the, I got into wearing the t-shirt under my jersey because I didn't have, I didn't have the Pierce Hibma, Dane Watts, Josh Dotzler, yeah, yeah. Nate Funk, Guns, man. We were, I like, on a, all you guys were ripped, and my ass was not ripped. I needed to, <laughs> I needed, to, I needed to get on your guys' curl plan, man. I mean, I, I don't know why, but I think we liked working out just as much as we liked playing basketball. And uh, there was definitely a group of us. We should have spent more time playing basketball. That might have helped our game a little more. Right. I, you and you and Pierce got me into it, man. You and Pierce, like I got, I finally got my butt in gear a little bit for for my for my final year. But yeah, you guys were were into that. But I look back on that now. I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I, did it help my game? Sure. But should I have like just spent more time playing basketball? Probably. You know. <laughs> I mean, I feel the same way. I remember freshman year. Pierce kind of me and me and Pierce were hanging out early on and we would literally we'd go to the gym we'd work out Pierce was a pretty healthy eater I was not yeah we'd go lay out at the pool and we'd do it all over every single day I mean we were, we were pretty into uh trying to keep our our looks going man it was it, we we tried we, we life. You, you cannot you can't knock that uh, the hustle and and the and the determination of what we were doing before we uh, because I, I before we get into to going down memory lane and talking about creating your career let's get into what really matters and that's what's going on with abide starting Wednesday, May 20th. For people, yeah. Josh, that may be new to, to you and Abide, like you lay out Abide's mission for everybody real quick. Yeah, I mean, I think first of all, starting talking about Wednesday, May 20th, it's Omaha Gives Day. And it's really a day where over a thousand nonprofits in our city get an opportunity to raise awareness and raise money. And so we say all the time, we want to celebrate all the incredible work happening in our community because there's a lot of great organizations, a lot of great leaders doing great things. And so we're excited to be one of those organizations, you know, just kind of the big picture of Abide started 31 years ago by my parents. And my dad was a chemical engineer, moved our family to North Omaha, and he knew he wanted to be a part of the solution, started our nonprofit. We were doing work. I mean, I basically grew up in North Omaha yep. and I tell people all the time, Nick, like, I thought for sure basketball was my ticket to escape North Omaha. And I loved what my parents were doing, but I mean, there was just so many challenges. It was hard. It wasn't easy. Um, but they continued to work at it. And I remember in college uh, being at the funeral of the kid who lived across the street from us. And uh. I remember being at his funeral and, and it was when I started to just ask questions about myself and start to uh, just tell myself, man, I want to live with purpose. I want to make a difference. I don't want to just go through the motions in life. And, uh, and so joined abide and our, our mission really is to revitalize the inner city one neighborhood at a time. And so we adopt neighborhoods, we buy old abandoned houses, we fix them up, we put families into them. In the last about three, three and a half years, we actually purchased this campus called the better together campus. It used to be the Nebraska school for the deaf. We've got sports programs, mentorship programs. We partner with other organizations to just provide a holistic um, approach to building stronger families. And then we're trying to raise up leaders who, who want to live in the community and not just leave the community. So 31 years wow. of investment. We've seen some incredible change, some crazy just life stories of transformation. And uh, I'm so thankful, even though I didn't want to at first, I'm so thankful that 
it's what I've been able to be a part of now for over 11 years. Yeah, because I feel like once I got to know you, and maybe that was right when it was kind of sinking in that this was kind of your calling, but it, it kind of seems like, like I remember going and, and eating at your family's house and, yep. and hanging out with your family, and like there was a real palpable passion from all mm. of you for for helping other people like do you is that yeah. start with your mom and dad or what like or where where does what do you think that was those seeds were planted yeah i mean without a doubt like from a young age we were always a part of everything they were doing i mean we we grew up putting on community block parties and as some of the projects the houses that we would refurbish we would use a lot of donated material and so I remember growing up and these truckloads of old of wood that came out of other projects would be in our front driveway with nails in them. My dad would pay us five cents or 10 cents to pull nails out of the wood. And so, I mean, we were just constantly a part of this type of activity, putting on basketball camps, sports camps. And so we were, we, we always, the one thing I loved about my parents was, I mean, my dad went from having a great job, our family living in a really nice suburban community to, to move into North Omaha. And even though it was more challenging, my, my parents live with such purpose and yeah. you use the word calling. And, and that was the thing that I think we all saw at a young age and we were all a part of. And there was something inside of us that said, we never want to just work a job to make money. We want to find out what are we passionate about? What's our calling? And really try to lean into that. Hey guys, quick break to talk to you guys about Pella windows and doors. And I, I want to make sure that you guys understand that Pella windows of Omaha and Lincoln, they are following CDC guidelines uh, during this coronavirus situation. They can safely serve any of your window and door needs in the showroom or in your home. All the employees at Pella and the customers are are completing a COVID-19 questionnaire as provided by the CDC prior to entering the showroom, entering the office, and uh, any uh, potential customer's home. And all the employees are required to self-quarantine for a recommended 14 days if uh, that individual comes into contact with someone who's tested positive, if they traveled anywhere outside of the Omaha-Lincoln area. Bottom line, they are taking all the necessary precautions to make sure that they are safe and you are safe so you can safely move forward with your window and door needs. And uh, on top of all that, as a result of all this stuff with the coronavirus, uh, Pella is offering temporary special financing options. They are now available. So man, now is the time to take advantage of these special rates and uh, put that value back into your home, and you have that peace of mind knowing that all the necessary safety uh, protocol and precautions have been uh, put into place by Pella, so you know the whole time you can feel safe. Give Pella a call, 402-493-1350, or check them out online at PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. I mean, it just, I think that as you, as you, uh, as you grow and, and age, it's finding purpose and finding calling is hard. And there are a lot of people right. that don't find it. And and that's where like, it's, it's so amazing when you do find it. And it's so uh, fulfilling when you, when you see other people find it. And there's no yeah. question that like you have found it. And one thing that I've always liked about you and your family is some people just kind of talk and tweet about change or Facebook yeah. about change. You guys go out and like physically do it, you know, like you touch people, you create change with, with your physical actions. 
Yeah. Dude, has that been how hard has that been, Josh, for the past two plus months with the coronavirus? Because right. like you still have to fulfill that mission, but it's harder right now. What if, like how how hard has that been? No, you're 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 exactly right. I mean, the the coronavirus has definitely changed some things. One of the things that we said early on, I love the statement that I heard: "Limitation drives innovation." Mm. And so our our hope through this crisis has been where are some opportunities maybe that we didn't see before and how can we lean into that? And so one of the things that we've done in the past, but we haven't spent a ton of time doing it is just, you know, food distribution and meeting some very practical needs. And so we, we found out early on when school was going to be canceled, that there was going to be a lot of kids in our community that weren't going to have meals, a lot of families who weren't prepared for a crisis like this. And so they were going to have a lot of practical needs. And so through partnerships, like with the food bank and, other organizations, businesses, churches who have donated food, we started to collect food and become a distribution center. And so over the last, I think it's eight weeks. I mean, I just found out today we've given out over 41,000 meals to families. And yesterday we gave out over 2000 diapers. We've just, we've kind of pivoted some of our strategies to meeting a lot more practical needs. So we've, we've stumbled upon some opportunities that we otherwise weren't uh, leaning into. We've had to put some projects on hold. We've got a fitness center that we're, we're in the process of building and, and some other projects, but we've also been able to tap into just some unique opportunities during this time. Josh, give me some, give my audience some, maybe some misconceptions about North Omaha or like maybe some, some poor, lower socioeconomic families and kids and yeah. and things with that. Because you know what it is? Some of that stuff gets painted with a with a negative broad brush, but you yeah. being in it, you understand that, you know, while some of those things and some of those issues may be negative and real, it's always dangerous when you paint an area or a group of people or whatever with a broad brush. Yeah, no, Nick, you're you're exactly right. And I think even for me moving back to the community after college has been a whole different eye-opening experience than when I grew up in the community. You know, a a couple of things. Number one, when people think of the North Omaha community as a whole, I tell people 98.5% of everybody living in North Omaha wants the same thing. They all want good things. Now, there's a small number of people that are involved in gang activity. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times negative news travels a lot faster than positive news. Yep. And so you hear about a lot of the negative statistics and stories. But I'd say the other the other thing that I've just come to really know and appreciate is that in our city, there there's incredible wealth and prosperity. But we also have some of the most significant uh, poverty numbers in the country. We, we live in a city that in some parts of our city have been considered the top three best places to live. Right. And then in North Omaha, it's been considered one of the top. Uh, places, the top worst places for African-American men to live. And so there's an an incredible gap. And living in North Omaha and working with the families, you see that there's just people are are at such a disadvantage when it comes to opportunities because of generational realities. I, uh, right after college, I I mean, I, I started a basketball program and had our first basketball team here in North Omaha. And I was coaching a third grade team. This was literally a year after I got done playing at Creighton. And I would go pick up these kids for our games. And half the time, the kids weren't at their houses. Yeah, They were staying somewhere. Parents didn't know where they were. I literally, Nick, I remember 
driving to the to a, a site where it was the project. Some kids were playing outside, and I said, "Hey, you guys want to play in a basketball game?" <laughs> and uh, they said, "Yeah." And so I put them in this van. And I took them out. We played out at OSA, and and we played in our game, and we got we got beat that game forty to two. <laughs> And bro, you talk about demoralizing. Yeah. I mean, I was ready to yeah. go out there and get the other coach. And, uh, but but we're leaving the game and we're walking out and, and 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 I'm seeing this other team and a dad is with his son and the dad is telling his son, "Man, son, good game. You know, we're gonna go home. We're gonna practice your shooting and dribbling." And the son's holding the basketball and and I'm walking out and I've got like seven or eight kids. I picked up every single kid. There wasn't one parent at the game. This was third grade. This was the first team any of our kids had played on. None of them had a basketball. None of them had a hoop. None of them, they didn't even have an opportunity to be good at something. Right. And so the support system and then also the environment that was raising them was setting setting them up for failure from the jump. Right. And so for me, like the the passion and the heart is, man, I want to see everybody in our city have the same opportunities that I've had to be successful in whatever it is ultimately that they're called to do and, and to be a part of. The funny thing is, Nick, you know this, and you've been around these kids. We get in the van, you know what they started saying? Man, if we played those kids again, we'd kill them. <laughs> I'm looking back, I'm like, man, what are you guys talking about? We got a couple years before we can make up that 40-2 to two deficit. We got to Oh, my goodness. We got to score more but than two points. Not, no real sense of almost reality yeah. in some ways. Right. But be, but the, the, the culture they've grown up in has shaped them. I mean, kids in this community are literally living in survival mode yeah. they're raising themselves they're out in the streets all hours of the day nobody's telling them when to eat when to go home and i used to be that person even growing up in north Omaha, man i, I would look at and, and guys that you know that we played with yep. it's like man stop being like that yeah like stop acting that way and the more i'm around them the more i recognize wow we're all at, at a very high level. We're all a product of the environments that we've been raised in, the people that we know, and the experiences that we've had. Totally agree. I and totally agree. And all you've had is negative experiences, man. It sets you up for failure. Yeah, and, and you know, it's uh, sometimes it's easy to marginalize sports in our society, but I think, yeah. at least for me, sports has been – I mean, and l- I, listen. I was lucky to grow up in a great, a, a great house, two great parents. Uh, yep. You know, I had a great support system around me with with extended family and friends and all those things. But even for someone like me, if I didn't have basketball, you right. know, I, I don't know what would have. I, I don't know what I would have focused all my time and attention on. And sometimes, yes. you know, the sports it it gives you a purpose, it gives you a goal, yep. it gives you structure. I'd imagine. It's not just because you're Josh Dotzler, comma former Creighton basketball player, but you see the value in in giving these kids sports to play and yes. what that can do for them. Without a doubt, I mean, I think sports is one of the greatest tools we can use to teach life skills, but then also to engage people because, especially in this community, uh, everybody wants to be a great basketball player. There's so many icons out there that we can look towards uh, as our heroes. The, you know, you know, one of the funny things is, and, and back when we played Nick Creighton basketball was, you know, continuing to grow and rise. Most kids from the community had no clue who Josh Dotzler was from the <laughs> from the basketball court. <laughs> right, right. I mean, they would look me up and down, and they'd be like, Man, I'll, "I'll take you just like I'll take anybody else." 
And uh, I always tell people I had to get out there on the court just to let them know, right. you know, this, this guy could play a little bit. But uh, they just they haven't had the exposure. Now it's grown a ton. But uh, they, they, when it comes to like real basketball, they haven't had the exposure. But it's one of the greatest tools we have to really engage them and work with them. So th- that this will kind of transition to Creighton because like I don't know if I know at the time you were Creighton's youngest commitment. I don't know if did Antoine. Did Antoine I, Young change? The, did he break your record of committing I think, early? I think he slightly broke it, yeah. But you committed your, I think it was your sophomore year. Yep. And was that love for Omaha a huge part of committing early? Or like, take me back to when you were yeah. a sophomore. What what was, what was what went into the decision to be when Coach Altman offered you to be like, yep, this is it, this is where I want to play? Yeah, I mean, I think a combination of things. Number one, like you said, I was young. And, and part of it, our, our, I mean, I had no exposure experience on the recruiting circuit. Before I committed to Creighton, I really was getting looked at by three schools, Creighton, Nebraska. I had gone down to Nebraska. I was so young. I just had an unofficial visit. And then Kansas was looking at me. Mm-hmm. And Coach Roy Williams was at Kansas at the time. And so I had gone down to Kansas for an unofficial visit, too. And part of it, going to Creighton, being so close to Creighton, Kansas was – I always thought Kansas was my dream school. And so I went down to Kansas, went to a game. And what I realized was when it came to environment and crowd and I mean, Creighton had everything Kansas had and Creighton also with my family being so close and and just having so much family just seemed like a great fit with coach Altman at the time, the style of basketball that they were playing. So that's what kind of led me into leaning into Creighton. I'll I'll be honest with you. (laughs) the, The day I committed, it all happened a lot faster than I probably uh, would have anticipated it happening. Sure. It was kind of just a domino effect, but it was definitely just being close to home. And then I think just the style of basketball and the way Creighton was growing. You know, I, uh, I was there with you for your entire career. So like your, your freshman year was when I was a red shirt, then you and I were played together for two years. And then I was a graduate assistant your senior year. And I'm serious. Of all the players that I saw, I don't think I saw a young player earn Coach Altman's trust faster than you did. Like mm. you were, you ran the show your freshman year. Like he, he one hundred percent handed you the keys to the car, and he, like he, you guys never, like he never. I don't remember him even ever getting on you. Like you and him right. just like had you guys had a thing. What was that like? What was your relationship like with him? Because people got to understand, you and I love right. the guy to death, but like Coach Altman's not the easiest dude in the world to play for sometimes. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I mean, he, he was a tough coach. I think, I mean, I came from a system with Coach Woodard, who Coach Woodard's a great coach. Coach Woodard was a tough coach. Yeah. And so I, I came out of a pretty, I would say, tough, uh, a hard nosed basketball environment with Coach Woodard. I felt like with all that we went through in high school, came coming off a couple of state championships, I felt like I was ready to play at the next level. I, I also spent three and a half years going up to Creighton on and off and playing against those college players. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember playing against Kyle and Brody and I mean, those guys would beat me up, Right, but it was like, they, they wouldn't give me anything, but it was one of the best things for me. And so when I got to Creighton, I, I felt like I was ready for uh, coach Altman. I was ready for the college game as a whole. I mean, you never fully know how you're going to transition there, but it just seemed to be a good fit. And just from a basketball perspective, I tell people 
that that first year at Creighton was was honestly it was one of the easier years for me coming out of the high school experience that I had. Mm-hmm. And for, for whatever reason, I feel like, I mean, I was playing with a ton of confidence. Uh, I feel like I had an understanding of the system and just what coach wanted. And it just, it just flowed, man. Like I felt very comfortable uh, early on that freshman year. And, and obviously up until I got hurt, uh, it felt like coach had given me the keys to the team yep. and, I mean, that was the position that I, I wanted to be in and felt comfortable in. Yeah, and I think, I mean, just being, like, on the team that year, it was like, when you got handed the keys and no one questioned it. Everybody was like, oh, yeah, Josh has got this. Josh can do this. Josh is, like, we all, everybody was, there was, everybody believed in you. And you bring up, like, the the injuries of, I, you know, I, I said of all the guys I played with, you still look like a million bucks. But of all the guys <laughs> that I, of all the guys that I played with, you were you were maybe one of the most beat up, players from an injury standpoint man like I I it was I used to like just get so mad for you like so I'm trying to so you tore your knee at the end of your freshman year I mean you broke your finger I think your sophomore year you had shin splints you battled shin splints really bad throughout your whole career like what I know I'm missing like five other injuries (laughs) but like what was the what was I was saying injuries just man they are like a killer on a variety of levels for people. What was the hardest part with the, with dealing with all the injuries? Yeah. I mean, I think different, different injuries brought on different things. Like you talk about the shin splints. I mean, that was really, yeah, my entire career. And for whatever reason, that kind of started to hit me the end of my, my high school career. And I don't know if it was the floor we practiced on. (laughs) I uh, think it was (laughs) that, that old gym floor. Um, because that was just brutal. And then I mean, with those types of injuries, you're not able to practice all the time and rhythm and games. And but I mean, I think the the knee injury really started, I would say, the more significant challenges. And the challenge, I would say, with the knee injury was it was a PCL and not a lot of doctors had experience with that here in Omaha. And so when I went, I went to Minnesota at the end of that that year to get it checked out. And we thought the doctor was going to say, hey, go do rehab. You know, you probably don't need surgery. You can go back and and play. And the doctor looked at it and basically said, hey, if you want to play competitively, you have to get surgery. And so I remember hearing that the next night we got surgery right there in Minnesota. And I'll never forget, Coach Altman actually flew into Minnesota. After surgery, we got in the car and drove from Minnesota back to Omaha. And the experience over the next several months of trying to come back and rehab Nobody really had a good gauge of where I was. And as a player, I wanted to play. The coaches wanted me to play. I mean, everybody, we were all trying to, you know, help me get back as quickly yeah. as possible. But the reality is I I tried to come back too soon, number one. And then in trying to come back too soon, just, man, develop some bad, I'll, I'll say, habits. And from a shooting perspective, just wasn't wasn't ever – you know, the same. And then I think all those other injuries were compounded on it, but that injury definitely was a catalyst in the sense of just kind of changing the way that I I played uh, before the injury. Yeah. I just, you know, uh, going like, I know for me going through my career and then being intimately involved with all the guys like you that I was teammates with and watching their careers progress. It's like a career is delicate and, and like, you know, a few things can, a few right breaks can get you on a certain path and a few things right. might not go your way and it's hard. And all of a sudden you kind of like, 
I don't know. You you feel like you're behind the eight ball. Like right. I, I think confidence is one of the most underrated things. And however you you know, it's it's one of those things. It's it's uh it's hard to acquire and it's easy to lose. And when you lose it, it's it's challenging. But I I right. just I was so frustrated for you because we all knew what you know like. You know, you were just like, you, you know, you were a hard worker. You were a great teammate. And it just was, it was hard to watch your body. Like, it, it, there were so many times that just, you could see that your body just kind of was like not there for you in a handful of right. times. Yeah. I mean, it, it was hard, especially coming back. <laughs> I remember uh, being in practice and things I used to be able to do, you know, whether it was get a loose ball or right. make a play, it was like my mind was there, but my body couldn't get me there. Yeah. And it was just such a, a, a weird, crazy feeling. And, and it, like you talked about, there's the psychological side of things and, and the mindset and the confidence. I think part, part of it too, for me, Nick, which honestly, like this was hard for me to talk about for years. I, I felt like what I went through uh, after my freshman year, I went from what we just talked about, where it's like, man, it was easy. And I yeah. felt like I had the keys to the team to just kind of almost a downward spiral from a basketball sense and perspective. And, and for me, it's like, there's nobody to blame and confidence is definitely an issue, but part of it, I just couldn't do some things that I used to do. And, and one of them was shoot the basketball. Right. And as a, as a point guard, you know, you, to be able to knock down shots and keep the defense on its toes, the only thing, I mean, I've spent years trying to understand what's happened. <laughs> what happened. <laughs> right, right. I'm, I mean, I'm so serious. And and the only things that I can relate it to is Charles Barkley's golf swing. Right. And Markel Fultz's jumper. Right. Like, like those are the things. And, and I can see how when I was injured, I would do a lot of set shooting. Yep. And a lot of form shooting. And, and then I tried to translate the form shooting to different shooting when I started to actually try to come back and I could see how a tweak and some different things started to develop some different habits. But like, I mean, Charles Barkley's golf swing is probably the, the closest thing that I can connect to what happened in terms of once in my freshman year, I mean, it's not like I was a, uh, you know, Ray Allen. No, but, but you shot 39%, percent, didn't you? I thought you shot, yeah. I don't know why I remember, I thought you shot 39% from three your freshman year. You were yeah, a good, was, you were a good to, shooter. Yeah, I mean, I had several games where I knocked down three threes. Yes. And, um, so, and I was confident, like I yes. knew I could knock, knock shots down. And so when you go from being able to do that to literally not being able to do that, while confidence is a, a part of that, is just the, the reality of just not being the same player that I was. Yeah, I it it's just it's hard, man. Like <laughs> you know, it's it's just so hard, and and I know how that is because I you know you you know you're trying to as you're rehabbing, you you have this desire to like work on your game, yes. but you know when you work on one aspect of form shooting without the jumping aspect of yes. it, your timing gets messed up, and then yes. before you know it, like it just doesn't take much to all of a sudden be in your own head with with shooting and yes. yeah, it's just, cause I remember your freshman year, you were, you shot 39% from three and you were, you were a, a, a more than capable three point shooter. And it yeah. just, you know, it, it was just a perfect domino effect that, that was just, it was frustrating, man. It was, it had yeah. to have been frustrating. Well, it was, it was, it was incredibly frustrating cause I couldn't, I couldn't figure out how to fix it. Yeah. And, and I think that that was probably the most frustrating thing. I mean, 
I remember the following years and summers, man, I would spend hours trying to get up shots and trying to work with different people. And I, bro, one year, I think after my senior year, I was considering going overseas. I started to try to become a left-handed shooter. Oh my God. Like, I mean, I was just, I was trying to figure out and find anything to try to fix it. And I think the, the frustrating thing for me is what made me good partly was my work ethic and, and feeling like you, I couldn't work myself out of it or work right. myself through it was like, was just devastating. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you, what made you great was working. So naturally you would think, okay, how the way I'm going to get out of this is by working. And sometimes yes. there's like, sometimes you can you can do something, you can work too hard, you know, because like yes. sometimes you have too many thoughts in your head and you do it too much. And like the, the ultimate Zen place in basketball is to play without thinking, you know, yeah, and just be yes. instincts with it all. And yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. You know, I've told, I, I've, I've told people before that like, you know, I think for me in my career, like I, I went to Kansas and basically didn't play for two years and then I transfer and have to sit out a year. So now all of a sudden three right. years had elapsed and I hadn't right. played and I lost all my confidence. Like right. I, I lost all my confidence. And so what's interesting about it is like you and I were, I mean, me and you were, uh, you know, you always have a partner in warmups. You and right. I were partners in warmups and it was like, yeah. you know, I think you and I hit a point where you could kind of like, we were, we were trying to help each other out of like finding our swag back a little bit of right. like. And it's and it's hard, you know. And, and the only way you can get it back is by doing it. And and right. it's just it's it's a helpless feeling when you're trying to capture that back. Well, well, you know, you know, it's kind of crazy. Like to your point, I think by time senior year rolled around, I kind of said, you know what, I'm just gonna have fun. Yeah. I spent a couple years trying to get back, trying to go hard, trying to figure everything out. And senior year, I said, I'm I'm just gonna have fun. And so I didn't spend as much time getting up shots. I didn't spend as much time trying to figure out things to make my game better. I just focused on playing hard, having fun, bringing a positive attitude. And as a result, you know, some things worked out yes. that senior year where at least we were able to enjoy the process. And then also as a team, we had some success. Oh, totally. I mean, I, 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 that team, what you guys won twenty seven games and missed out on yeah. the NCAA tournament or whatever. I mean, that team was good by the end of the year. You know, it was you. It was basically you and a bunch of young dudes. Like you, you know yep. what I mean. It was a bunch of Booker, Booker, and P. Allen, and and Cavell, and you know, Carter, like, Justin, Carter Justin Carter just Carter. showed up yeah. that year. Yes, and and you know that was the that that year. You know, I felt like we were good enough. That was the year I was a GA. We were good enough to make the NCAA yep. tournament. We just probably didn't have enough opportunities in the non-con to like to yep. have a good enough resume for it. But yeah, you know, and you were, you know, it was Josh and a bunch of young pups, and and you know, I mean, you win twenty-seven or whatever games it was. You know, you're a good team when you do that. Yep. No, we 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 lost a couple of bad non-conference games. We lost to Nebraska. Yep. And, and I think that one is was at the last second. Um, which I've become friends with a couple of those guys over the years. And one of them, one time I had over at my house and he has the nerve to show me that highlight oh. of the game winning play that he made. I'm like, man, come on, get, get out of here, out of man. Here. Get out of here. I'm going to kick you um, out of the house. <laughs> but, but we had a couple, I remember just that, that was a loss. And then we had, I think one other, maybe it was Drex, Drexler or something. Yeah. yeah. But uh, that team, yeah, that team, I felt like achieved, I mean, some pretty good things, you know, at Creighton, that that senior season then my freshman year man we had a good team and that was the year if that, you don't get uh, hurt we would have got an at large yeah we we yeah. would have we would have we would have if you get you getting hurt probably cost us a bid and the valley was loaded that year yeah yeah 
I mean, between Southern and – I mean, that, that was the year George Mason made it to the Final Four, and we went to George Mason and beat them by 20. Yes. Yeah, killed them. Killed, killed them. Killed them. I mean, we, we had some – We that was a team that had some talent. See, and the other thing, too, when we talk about our team – like, I get frustrated when I think back to the 2007 team, which would have been your sophomore year, my junior year – and yep. we, you know, remember we started the season. We were ranked preseason top twenty-five. I think through twenty-fourth. It was you know, Funk's a senior, Tolliver's yep. a senior, and you know, we ultimately we won the Missouri Valley Conference tournament, made the NCAA yep. tournament, should have beat Nevada, but yep. I always felt like we underachieved a little bit. Like I felt like that team, that team was was I on yep. paper we were good enough to. I thought we were good enough to make it to the to like the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I I, I totally agree. I mean, I. I've said that too. I feel like all of our teams, which again, like like you said, personally, I think as a team, you know, the ball can bounce one way or the yeah. other. That either leads to you overachieving or sometimes underachieving. I think we underachieve. I will say this though, that Nevada team, like I went back and looked at that roster. What? I mean, from that team, they've got what, three, four guys in the NBA? Yes. They were loaded. Like I they thought were, we were, were more loaded. talented and they were way more talented than we were. Yes. Yes. So to some degree, I mean, it, it, it's hard because at the time you definitely think that you you deserve to go farther. Sure. But it's amazing to see some of the success we had too against some of the pl- teams and players we played against. Yeah, I, uh, you know, we you and I have never really talked about this, but what? So after that, after that season, was when Coach Altman left for Arkansas and then came back. Yeah. What was that? What do you remember about that? Because that was crazy. Yeah. Everything about it, that 48, 72-hour span, whatever it was, was was nuts. What do you? What were your emotions like during that time? Like, what was all that? What do you remember about all that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the first thing I remember is I'm in class <laughs> yeah. that morning, and a kid comes up to me and says, hey, I heard your coach is leaving. And I'm like, my coach is leaving? <laughs> you know, I, I hadn't heard anything like that. And right when class got out, I mean, text message starts going, yeah. people start talking. We, we walk over to the practice facility and I remember kind of the news was getting out. And then I remember, I think we heard like there was going to be a press conference. And so, I mean, just emotions are, are going everywhere. I was just coming off <clears throat> my sophomore season, which was a really hard season for me mm-hmm. trying to come back. I mean, I think relationally, even just with coach Altman, he was trying to figure out what to do with me. I was trying to, get back to where I was. It was just, it was just a hard season. And so finding out about it that way, number one was just like, man, like yeah, that don't feel good. Mm-hmm. And you've got some assistant coaches telling you some things and then, and then they do the press conference. And then I remember we were upstairs playing pickup. Yes. And then we, uh, uh, I forget if it was Gordy or somebody comes over and says, Hey, uh, we're going to have a team meeting. And it felt like out of a movie, yes. I mean, we go over to, you know, the quest center, CHI center now, and we all pull into the garage, yeah. they shut the doors behind us. We go into the locker room and then coach comes out and, and, and basically is like, Hey, I'm back. And right. I think the hardest thing for me in that, and I know this wasn't like coaches intentions, but there, there wasn't a sense of like, man, guys, like, I'm sorry. Uh, I feel like I made a bad decision. What I remember was it was like, I'm back. Everything's back to normal. Let's let's keep moving forward. Yeah. And I, there was real no explanation for anything. Right. Uh, yeah. There was almost like 
I mean, because that one, I mean, that that meeting at the Quest Center that you're talking about was was bizarre. Like everything about yeah. it was bizarre. The mood in the locker room was bizarre. Everything, and it's not like I'm. It's hard to even shoot. What is it? Thirteen years after the fact, like totally be right. able to capture how I felt. Like it wasn't like I was angry. But I felt like, to your point, like there needed to be more closure to what happened there. Right. And it almost felt like we all had to almost like men in black, red light, like just forget about all that and right. just move on. And that's kind of hard to do when you begin the process of thinking, okay, like we're going right. to get a new coach. What is all this going to be like? Right. And yeah, so it was... And again, I don't think that was Coach Altman's intention. No, just like no, I don't think it was Coach Altman's intention to not be the one to let us know, you know, right. the, to tell us first, but it just, it was, uh, it was, it was surreal. Like it was almost, it, to, even to this day, yeah. it's almost like I have to tell myself like, yeah, that was real. That wasn't a dream that actually happened. No, no, you're, I mean, you're exactly right. I think knowing and just seeing how these things have played out in different ways, it happens so fast. I think it's hard for people to make decisions and to really know how to process it. Coach Altman, I think, had never really been through that process before. And so I think it happened so fast. But I remember as players knowing different people. And, and I remember Chad knew some people yeah. uh, that were connected out there. And, and us even just trying to figure out and understand why it didn't work out, what was behind it, yes, and then never really getting an explanation from from the coaches, I think just left us guessing and just it just kind of left you feeling just a little like, man, like what was the reason behind all that? Yes, and and then the natural inclination, and and I think Coach Altman like used to kind of. Uh, encourage and foster this is to like you know stick together with your teammates band together yeah. and yeah. and so I felt like at least that day or that that next day you know me you and Pierce and Dane we were the leaders so what we tried to do is like rather than cry about coach Altman not being around we tried to be like okay man we're yeah. gonna let's let's, let's be go. positive let's go we're gonna yeah. we're, you know he, like this train's rolling regardless you know and that's yeah. kind of how you have to think as a player and it's just hard to like, it's it's hard to go there with your mind and then have to, you know, slam on the brakes and 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 go to a completely different place. No, you're you're exactly right. Yep, I think as as leaders, it was like, I, and I remember that too. I remember saying, "All right, guys, like let's go. Uh, it's gonna be nobody knows what's gonna happen, but man, excited about just kind of figuring it out, yes. figuring out kind of what's gonna happen from a new perspective." And then, uh, you know, when they come back, it, it was like, all right, well, I guess everything's going back to the way it was before. Right. But I, I do remember, you know, like things were a little different for a little while. Like, I, yeah. I don't know what they eventually normalized, but the, things yep. were a little different for a while. And, you know, there's been a lot of things talked about, like, uh, you know, Coach Altman, it was never the same when he came after he came back. And I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think. I don't think he changed. I think the yeah. types of players and personalities on our team sort of changed. And that's not to make, meant to take a yeah. shot at necessarily anybody. Like, But yeah. it, I just I felt like – I don't really – I mean, he was kind of preaching and teaching a lot of the same things. It was just – what what was the circumstances that he was around kind of changed a little bit. I, I, I always felt like – I mean, when, when Creighton had success, there was a – certain type of uh style and culture mm -hmm. that the team carried and and there was always a few guys that maybe 
maybe didn't fully fit the culture, but the culture was so strong. It was built around a certain group of guys. Yes. And, and I think, I think during this, I, I would say transition period when, you know, that happened. And then before coach went to Oregon, I think they were trying to, the coaches were trying to figure out how to go to the next level. Right. And I think in, in trying to do that, you think you have to bring in a certain type of player, which means you have to also bring in a certain type of culture with that player. And I think they were like almost trying things to figure out how to go to that next level. And I think the, the, the reality is you don't have to sacrifice culture for talent. You can actually get both. But I, I felt like they were trying to get that talent. They were trying to get next level, uh, quote unquote, next level players, but maybe sacrifice the, the culture that they had spent years trying to really establish and develop. And so That's I, perfect. I, I, I almost chalk it up as they were they were like trying and experimenting in a in a way that they hadn't before. That is perfectly stated because I totally agree that. And, and listen, to, from their perspective, they're probably sitting there in their offices and it's like, listen, we've been at this thing for almost 10 years and yeah. we've been going at it the same way and all yeah. that stuff. And they're probably thinking, you know, the old definition of insanity is doing the same thing over <laughs> yeah. and over and expecting yeah. a different result. And so they're yeah. maybe thinking, we need to change. We need this. We need that. And, yes. and it just kind of, it, it, in the midst of that changing, it felt like that, you know, you could just feel it slowly, like the types of personalities in the locker room changed a little bit. And so I totally agree with that. Like, I think that's what, uh, I think, I think that's probably what was going on in the coaches minds during that time. I, I think so. And, and it to, to exactly what you said, they, I mean, again, you're doing the same thing for so many years. It's like, well, how, how many years are we going to go to the first round and get knocked out? How yeah. many years are we going to go here? And, We've, we've got to bring in a different type of player. And again, I don't think it was anybody's bad intentions. No, no. But I think, I think what you see at the highest level is you can get incredible talent and also get incredible culture at the same time. When you're at that mid-major point, though, I think the, the question is probably looming and lingering in your mind. Man, what do I have to sacrifice in order to take a step up in the type of player that I'm getting? And, and again, I, I think that's where they were just – trying some stuff i think trying to figure out some things and, and and like a lot of things you take some chances and then you you live with the consequences and i think that's where they were just trying to figure some things out you know what's been really fun though with all that said is it has been so damn fun to watch coach altman yeah. kill it at oregon and yes. and what's amazing about it though is like all the things that we're talking about, like I was real interested when it, I was confident Coach Altman would go have success at Oregon, but I was real interested how he was going to do it. Like, is he going to, yeah. is it going to be a lot? Is it basically going to be Creighton West Coast? You know what I mean? Like, right. is it just going <laughs> to, and what's been cool about it is, man, this dude is still doing the exact same things. He's running yeah. the same stuff. He's preaching the same stuff. The only difference yep. is he's got like Dylan Brooks instead of Nick Baugh <laughs> running two fade and it right. looks a little better, but it, it's like, I I uh I went down to Kansas City when Oregon beat Kansas in the Elite Eight, and yep. I've never I was like fighting back tears the whole game for wow. Coach Altman. Like mm. with all that said, it's been it's been so much fun to watch this guy, you know, beat down that door, get to a Final Four, and yep. kind of get the love that I know that he deserves. I mean, it I I couldn't agree more. I've loved watching him just continue to succeed we've actually had the opportunity to go down to Oregon a couple of times and to watch him and to stay with him and yeah 
just to see how happy and content he is. I, I think anytime you're building and growing something, one of the things that I've learned being a part of our organization, when you go from being a small organization to a large organization, your leadership has to change. And you have to get different types of people around you and maybe stuff you used to do on your own when you were smaller. You have to find other people to do it. Yep. And I think as Creighton continued to grow, I think Coach Altman always he always remembered, which was great, the humble beginnings that Creighton started at. Mm -hmm. And he, I, th I feel like he really tried to embrace that and hold on to it, which was great. But I think going to that next level, his greatest strength is coaching. And going to Oregon, you know, he—it's a good thing he doesn't have to worry about their twenty different jerseys that their uh, their uniforms. I mean, I, I wondered how he was going to transition with with all those different uniform changes and all the shoes and yes. gear and right. food and 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 at Creighton, I think he he felt like he needed to be a part of all of that because he was from the beginning. And the best thing that's happened is he just has to coach. Yeah. And and he's a great coach. He's so passionate about the game, so passionate about winning. And I think that's where he's proven that, man, he, he is a great coach just by being able to focus on that. God, you're on fire, man. That's so true. That's <laughs> such a that's such a good point, though, with like his his mindset was like he he saw this. He saw the whole thing get built at Creighton. And it's yeah. hard to it's hard to forget about like, man, our, you know, like we didn't necessarily need to eat. We didn't need to take. Dodge minivans when we'd get to Northern <laughs> Iowa and drive to the game oh, and and man. eat McDonald's for every meal. But I think there was a part of Coach Altman that liked yeah. liked feeling like that. Liked yeah. like I think he's one of those guys that thrives on like yep. okay you these guys disrespect us these guys yeah. don't but they, these guys look down their nose at us and sometimes yep. almost like I, I think that maybe was I don't know if it was to his detriment but like when you're trying to grow as a program sometimes you got to let some of that go and he yep. wasn't ever to, like he was never going to let that go at Creighton in some ways and at Oregon he had yep. to let it go you're exactly right it, it, it was already out of his control and I think even you see the shift at locally at Creighton with coach McDermott he kind of started off with that different perspective I remember telling D-Rock when we were playing I said, man, like, I mean, we, you know, we would only get so many shoes and clothes and yes. gear and, and right. things were different back then. But I would say we got to give a little to get a little bit. You you want to recruit and get some of these guys, man, we've got to be a little more generous with some of the resources that were given to our players, but then also keep raising your expectations for what you want from us. Sure. And I think when you're, when you're building a program, you've got to have a little bit of both. And, and the best thing at Oregon just in talking to him, even talking to his wife, is his primary job is coaching basketball, yeah. and that's when he's in his sweet spot. That's a, and 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 there's no doubt that he planted. I mean, he got the program on such a solid foundation to yes. to then take it to when Coach McDermott came in, and yes. and it's just taken off even more. And I just, yep. you know, I think I text you after the Seton Hall game, uh, you know, a, a you know a couple months ago when Creighton want to share the Big East title I'm yep. like boy we've come a long ways from eating <laughs> Arby's sandwiches you know and, yeah. and I'm just so I'm so proud of how the program has grown under Coach McDermott because you know one of the things that you were talking about that I started thinking about with Coach McDermott is the one thing I think that you know when 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 Coach McDermott's overseeing this change from the Valley to the Big East there's yep. no doubt you got to upgrade your talent but one yep. thing I think Coach McDermott's done an amazing job is he has 100% upgraded the talent, but yep. he has not sacrificed 
culture and yes. quality individuals. Yes. Like, I'm yes. not just saying this, and you're around the no. team too. There is not a bad dude on that roster, and that's yep. that's a testament to Coach McDermott. I, I think Coach McDermott has done as well of a job as anybody I've ever seen in the country at building a culture where guys feel like they're family. I mean, his, his ability to honor the past but build towards the future yeah. I think has continued to just blow me away. His ability to make sure that the kids know that, that life is more than just basketball and he, he focuses on family and the community. He's done an amazing job at keeping the values consistent but like you said, bringing in the type of talent and building the type of basketball program that is winning a Big East uh, championships, which is phenomenal from the jump too, really yeah. from the yeah. first, from year one. Yes, it's uh, what do you uh, what impresses you about Greg McDermott, the coach though? Like, what is it? I mean, for me, I'm like always, you know, we talked about the importance of confidence just a little bit yep. ago, talking about Arte. Like, I I don't the the thing that I admire the most about him is he. He really, you know, like he's a player's coach. And from the standpoint of like he he understands the importance of confidence and letting guys play free and loose. But he also like he gives them that rope. But like you have to meet him halfway with with not with playing with intelligence, too. Yep. I I was thinking the exact same thing. I mean, I I love a coach and I think Coach Mack does this uh, the best where he's got his arm around a kid and he's encouraging them, building his confidence. But when he needs to let you know that he needs something done or something changed, he's going to let you know. Yes. And every single kid on that bench knows that Coach Mack has their best interest at hand. And so he 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 builds that rapport, that confidence with the kids. I mean, I think just, too, I, I love – he just understands the game and tendencies. And Creighton teams are always prepared mm-hmm. for multiple scenarios and situations – the, the the they play light and loose and they get out and run. One of the things that I've seen them grow in is their physicality. Yeah, they were tough and, this year. They were a lot tougher this season in particular. Yeah. Which I think was a knock on Creighton in years past. And and so I, I've just seen him constantly this, this is the other thing that I love about him is he's a learner. Yeah. And I think if if you're not growing as a as a coach, if you're not learning and keeping up with what's going on in the sport then eventually you're not going to be relevant anymore. And he's always making tweaks to become better, and he's always figuring out new things. So I love the fact that he, he's always looking for ways to get better. I think, uh, you know, when, when you finally are, are done playing and you continue to be around the program, there are, there are only a handful of guys that, that come around that you go, man, I wish I would have played with that guy. And, of course, like, yeah. Doug's one of those guys. Like, it would have been unbelievable to play with Doug. It would have been a lot of fun to play with Grant Gibbs. Yep. Uh, it had been, you know, a, a, but for me, there are two cats on the roster right now. Marcus Zagorowski and and yeah. Mitch, Mitch Ballock, those two guys yeah. have just – they embody everything that I would want in a teammate. Yeah, that's good. I, I love both of their games. I love – I mean, I'm a, I'm a sucker for point guards. Yeah. And uh, especially point guards that can score and really hoop. And Marcus has – I mean, his jump from freshman year to sophomore year and the way he's carried the team, he's just got a toughness about him. And then Mitch – I mean, he just 
team player, team first, nonstop, obviously can shoot the ball, understands the game, is always in the right position. I mean, makes the, 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 the plays that nobody sees, whether it's taking charges, whether it's being in the right spot, and then he can make big plays offensively. Both of those players, I'd take any day. Yes. Any day, any level, anywhere, those guys will, will get it done. A couple more things I'll let you, let you run, Josh. I want to, I want to get good. your thoughts on uh, high school basketball in the Metro has exploded. <laughs> I mean, yeah. exploded. And yeah. now I, I also think we got to be careful. Like We act like, I mean, you could play a little. Uh, even yeah. back in the day, Eric Strickland yeah. and and could play a yeah, little. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> it's not like Hunter Salas is the first dude that could ever play or something like right, that. You know, right. but but I'd imagine as someone that is, you know, you you love Omaha, you love basketball. It's got to be really cool to see Kyrie Thomas and Justin Patton and Chucky Hepburn yeah. and Hunter Salas like watch all those guys really blossom and 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 try to put Omaha and Nebraska on the map as being like, hey, we can play a little bit over here, right? I mean, I, I love seeing it. As you know, I got a, a younger brother who's yep. a freshman this last year at Bellevue West. And uh, he's starting to come up a little bit. And so it's, it's connected me even more with the high school game. And I do think p- part of it with social media and just media as a whole, I mean, the reach is just amazing. Mm-hmm. And so with some of the attention that some of these guys are getting, I mean, it's definitely, I'm not going to lie, Nick, as a competitor, I go out there and I watch some of these guys and I'm <laughs> like, man, I think we could have taken them. I, I, I don't, I don't know if they could have <laughs> with us. Josh, you should have seen, I'm texting during the state finals. Yeah. I'm texting Jake Muleheisen and Bear Root yeah, and Bo yeah, Root. Yeah. I'm like, Miller North, I'm like, Shh. I'm like, man, we would beat Miller North. The 01 right. Knights or the we would beat Miller. Like, I guess that's just got to be how you're kind of wired, but I'm like, I'm I not, think, I mean, bring yeah. it. Like, I I don't care. Like, I like I think we'd have beat them. Like, that's right. just how you think. It, it's it, it's hard for me to to totally say that one of those teams or one of those players would dominate you know, one of the teams or, or us. I've actually had the opportunity to play against Chucky and some of those guys yeah. uh, over the course last year. But but I think Hunter, those guys. I mean, there there is a talent great. level that's pretty phenomenal. Yes. And you watch you watch. I got to watch both Millard North Bellevue West games this last year, and to see Hunter, to see Chucky go at it. I love how they go at each other. Right. And they've got relationships, but they they rise to the level of that competition. They they look forward to those challenges. I mean, it, it's been fun to see uh, just the talent. And, and you look at a guy like Hunter. I mean, he's, what, 6'4", mm-hmm. long, playing the point guard position, handling the basketball. I mean, he he's definitely a different breed, a different type of player. Um, I, I, I love seeing the attention that it's drawing to Omaha. And hopefully, I mean, I, I think part of it is there have been gems and great teams and players, but hopefully it just continues to grow a consistency where – it's the norm for Omaha guys, for Nebraska guys, Lincoln guys to be recruited on a national level. Um, hopefully, you know, it's just one of those things that becomes more and more consistent. The AAU circuit, the OSAs of the world, yeah, the, change it. just the basketball uh, programs as a whole factory. I mean, has taken, has taken basketball to a whole nother level from when we were playing. When I'm just excited. Cause I just think like, uh, you know, Josh Dotzler paves the path for Antoine Young, and Antoine yeah. Young and Josh Jones are coming in together. Then, then, then Kyrie Thomas. Then you know, yeah. like, like I do think there's something too for young yeah. kids to see someone 
in at their high school, in their neighborhood, in their city, like yep. blow up, that helps you think like, man, it is possible. And sometimes all you yep. got to do is have that hope to really kind of really spark that drive. And the thing with Hunter, Hunter Salas is the one thing you got to know about Hunter is, and I'm not a huge, like I'm not like immersed in Hunter's recruiting, but I know yeah. it, I follow it well enough to know, has there ever been a team that comes to watch Hunter that doesn't love him? And that's right. telling like Gonzaga, right. North Carolina, Oregon, all these, like if you watch this kid, they all right. love him. And that tells you how good of a player he is. Yep. No, you're, you're exactly right. I, I talked to, I think coach Altman was in town watching him this last year and I, I text him and uh, yeah. coach texted me back. He was like, you know, if he keeps working on uh, his, his, his dribbling a little bit, he's got a chance. And then he sent me kind of some uh, laughter, LOL. But they're impressed with him. Yes. And, and he is. He's, he's talented. He's got a crazy upside. Uh, it had to have been cool. Is Josiah's your brother, right? The, the, yeah, yeah. yeah yep. That had to have been. I mean, I text, I tweeted it, and I was like crazy. in the moment. And, I mean, he, dude, I know Chucky's the man and all that stuff, but like without his back-to-back threes – Bell West doesn't win the state title. Like, he changed the game. I mean, it, it, it was pretty surreal just being there. First of all, being at the state tournament with family only in the audience, <laughs> that was pretty yeah. unreal, bro. Right. Like, a, a couple hundred people in this large, in the large stadium was just, I mean, that Bizarre. was unreal. Right. But then watching the game, four minutes left to go, I thought for sure it was over. Yeah, so did I. And, uh, I mean, I thought there was no chance. And to see Josiah, he had played sparingly the couple of games before. And really, I mean, I tell people this, he, he, he played sparingly all year. And he'd come in and make plays. I thought the first time they played Miller North at Bellevue West was actually the most confident and comfortable he looked all year. So for, for whatever reason, that matchup, he felt, he felt pretty good about. And uh, he got in there, and, and you know how it is as a shooter. I think the first two shots he made were free throws. Right. And, and kind of gave him a little confidence, yeah. and they found him a couple of times. It was really cool to see him finish out the year so strong based on some of the challenges that he had been working through all year. It's, um, it, I mean, Josh, it's just so much fun. Like, being able to watch my brother, you know, is obviously a high school coach, and he won a state yeah. title at Elkhorn South. And, like, it's just – when you finally are finished with your career, it's so fulfilling, right. whether it's an older brother or, in your case, a younger brother. Like For them to have yep. success in the game is just like – it's incredible. It's a, it's a surreal experience. I'm, I don't know how it is with you. I was, I'm 10,000 times more nervous <laughs> when I watch my brother's teams play than oh, I ever was yeah. in any game I ever played in. Well, it's just so much harder watching yes. than it is yeah, being like, in the game. I, I was so <laughs> nervous watching him. I mean, I'm I'm nervous watching him. You know, I, I still I don't know. He he's getting a little like he's like six two now, bro. What? He's six two. He's filling out a little bit. Like it'll be interesting to see where he ends up. I've probably got a very short window where I can still keep him in his place. I don't buy it. Um, I, I, I think but, that window is much bigger. I'm betting on Josh, <laughs> Josh Dotson versus Josiah Dotson in the driveway. I'm taking you. I'm taking you yeah. for the foreseeable future. <laughs> I'm definitely going to give him the body. I'll tell you that. Yeah, yeah, you just Mark Jackson him. Just back him down. You know what I mean? Okay. Just back him down. As long as there's not a dribble limit, you're gonna. <laughs> it's over. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Okay, so uh, Omaha. How can people? How can people get involved with Omaha Gives and with Abide? Like, what do people need to know as uh, as this thing's getting underway? Yeah, Omaha Gives Wednesday, May twentieth. It's a twenty four hour giving opportunity. You can give one dollar, ten dollars, twenty dollars, twenty thousand dollars. So you go on Omaha Gives website. You find Abide. 
as an organization, click on abide. And then there's the giving options right there. You can give anytime throughout the day. Also, another cool thing that we're doing, we actually have a live stream going the entire day. And so we've got interviews. I sit down with Doug McDermott. Uh, I sit down with Tolliver Anthony, yeah. who we played with. Uh, different community leaders. And so you can just come check out our live stream, abideomaha.org, and just kind of hear some of the stories and things that are happening too. Josh, I think the world of you. I love you, my man. Uh, it's just so cool to, 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 to watch you you know, doing what you're doing in the community and, and, and giving back, man. Uh, this was awesome. Let's, let's do this again, all right? Hey, I'd love to, Nick. Thanks for having me, bro. Love you, your family, your wife. And uh, look forward to staying staying uh, connected. All right. My thanks to Pella Windows and Doors. If you're thinking about a new window or a new front door, now is the perfect time. Give Pella a call at 402-493-1350 or check them out online at PellaOmaha.com. We will see you next time on the Nick Bob Podcast. Production.